Honestly, it's kind of like a second family because it's people you can rely on. And since we're part of a group, it's really nice because we're all, um, especially during times of COVID, like I was talking to a friend of mine who doesn't have a bubble. He doesn't have people he can always be with and stuff like that. And because we all know each other and we're all really great friends and we've developed this bond over a long time, it's really nice to all be able to hang out together and all be in that little bubble um, and see each other. Um, yeah, and do different activities. Too. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like we since we've known each other since like the beginning, we've kind of grown up with each other. So it's not even considered like friends. It's more yeah. like Family. well, yeah. you know. Those were some of the teenagers of our group, Alexia, Shani, and Talia. It's bound to be difficult for them during the pandemic. They're sixteen. They're supposed to be in high school, seeing friends. Alexia is a competitive wrestler. And everything stopped for her pretty much overnight. But yet, they were able to continue to grow and thrive within the safe bubble of the French friend community. They learned to drive during the pandemic. Some fell in love during the pandemic. Alexia started a baking company. Shani and Talia started a summer camp, Camp Ramza, for the French kids when everything else was still closed. I guess we find ways to be entrepreneurial and creative, even in the worst of times. Hey, I even started this podcast during the pandemic. In the meantime, I'm continuing to explore the traditions, old and new, of this community and to learn the stories of our parents' generations, which make us who we are. For background, I am a Franco-American myself, born of two American parents who moved to Paris in the 70s both strongly anti-religious. But that's for another time. Since in the last two episodes I focused more on the Sephardic tradition of Marilyn from Tunisia and Eric from Egypt, I thought it would be only fair to interview a few people with a different perspective. I went to spend the afternoon before Yom Kippur with Mark and Judith Rappaport, who traditionally year after year, host the hangout during Yom Kippur at their house. Mark is also the DJ of our wildest parties. We call him DJ Marco. Judith is my acting partner in the French theater troupe, Théâtre du Coin. Yet I know that both of them carry the weight of their family's tragic history during the Shoah, so I also ask them to share these stories here so that memory can carry on. Yeah. If I ask you uh, to describe in a couple words, I'm going to tell you different families, and you're just going to give me some <laughs> description. Well, the, um, uh, the Rappaport family. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, they're annoying. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm just kidding. Uh, like, I'm trying to find a word. It's so hard. Warm. I would yeah, say, like, homey. warm, homey, cozy. So when I met you, you had three girls, and uh, little Ava was, I think she was just born, so you had four, and lots of, I remember, uh, in the chair, lots of curly hair, all girls have very curly hair, like she did. And um, it's just funny that the Amdalag also have four girls. So there's just, and we have four kids. Uh, many of us have lots of children, and we've kind of recreated a 
huge family out here uh, in in California. Um, and I'm I'm interested in this podcast to explore this why the new identity that we're giving to our children tends to be very influenced by the Sephardic tradition. And here you are both uh, Ashkenazi, but you, I think, a lot of the dishes that you prepare, except for your uh, kneidla, which are well-known and well-loved by all the children in the community. It's a little touch of Ashkenazi too, but how do you feel? What's the identity you think you're giving to your kids? Well, I think it's a mix. I mean, I definitely come from a Ashkenazi family um, and with a lot of things related to the war and a heavy story. And uh, But in France, I mean, also most of our friends were Sephardic. And so we adopted their tradition. Did you feel special as Ashkenaz- French Ashkenazi Jews? Like you had something different from the rest of the uh, French Jews, or not really? Not really, no. no, no. I mean, I, I different, yes, because our culture was very different from the culture of the Sephardi, uh, which are the majority, but I would not necessarily say special. Mm. And so do you think that this, this community of French friends, in your head, is it a nice equal mix, or do you really feel there is a heavier uh, influence of the Sephardic Jews? Just, just wondering, because maybe people perceive it differently. I think it, it, it's an equal mix, but uh, Sephardic, I mean, we hear more than <laughs> Sephardic. The louder. The louder, <laughs> louder yeah. And, and also, yeah, because we were uh, raised in France, and when I was going to... Uh, to the Jewish camp, I mean, most of my friends were Sephardic as well, so I think I, I mean, embraced the, well. that yep. tradition as well. And yep. I, yes, I feel different, but but I I also feel like them when I when I celebrate the, my holidays. Yeah, I would say we we happily embraced the Sephardi traditions and, and celebration because it's. So much more joyful than than more austere than so, the traditional Ashkenazi um, customs are. So let's talk about celebrations because you are well known in this community, Mark, as DJ Marco. So I know we're entering a very serious holiday tonight, but um, DJ Marco, what what's this all about? <laughs> It's a long story. Uh, that's just something I, I discovered a bit by, by chance. I mean, I, I always uh, loved listening to music, but it, it's more like the opportunity of our group, our community gathering frequently to, to meet, celebrate party that gave me an, an opportunity to... To practice. Yeah, yeah, to, practice. to just like jump into it and and the more uh, I learned about it yeah the more I, I started to, to learn and, and, and practice the more I really uh, enjoyed it and yeah to the point where I, I, I wanted to do it more and, and better and so you got all the equipment you yes. have your uh, mixing table and I think I, I can't think of any uh, evening except when we hire some professional where you're not the one behind the mixing table and just everybody knows that when there's a party, you're going to be the one playing the music. Yeah, it gives me really a, 
immense uh, joy to get our group dancing, dancing and jumping and and after practicing them for 10 years I know you know what's gonna get how, us on the yeah, dance floor push how to push so the right buttons give, to get the crowd crazy what, what music is gonna get us on the dance floor every time <laughs> tell me the names it's a music, the, the classics uh, Tel Aviv and, and a mix of um, Middle Eastern and, and Latinos tunes that really uh, resonate very well and, and get everybody uh, crazy and yeah. dancing and jumping yeah 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 and now you can't do it yeah, it's yeah, hard. I really, right? I really miss it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I once in a while I, I do some sessions at home by you myself. You try to get the girls, but, the, but your wife and the girls dancing. Definitely not the same, just because <laughs> I want to keep practicing and learning yeah. And, yeah. and discovering music and trying to to see what goes. What and you also together. have a game that you do during our, uh, which is not a religious holiday, but our hidden villa holiday. And what's the game? Yeah, so that's a blind test. That's that's another game I, I love so much doing, which is basically playing the beginning of a song and there are two or more teams and the winner is the one who finds first the, the name of the song or the name of the singer. And I, I, I'm not sure why I love playing that game so well, much. Well, because it gets everybody so excited and all the generations are super competitive and almost we, <laughs> we scream at each other. And this is a game that really brings all the generations together, which is kind of unique also in this community of French friends is that we, it's, first of all, boys and girls can play together, but also intergenerational very much. A lot of the activities we do bring the generations together. It's not just the kids on one side. And that game is perfect for that. I mean, you do have to change the music. Yeah, right? you, I try to find a mix of like... It's going to work yeah, for the teens and work for the younger exactly, kids. Exactly, music yeah. for all tastes and ages. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but so there'll be none of this tomorrow. Uh, however, there are some things that are maybe not traditional Jewish things. Uh, I think tomorrow there's things that are not traditional Jewish things, but that you've been, I think Maya started. What, what is it, Judith? I mean, she, <laughs> it's a very close environment. Uh, <laughs> she started some yoga during, <laughs> during Yom Kippur. So what she calls it, YKY? <laughs> YKY is the Yom Kippur yoga. But uh, I'm even uh, amazed that you know YKY. <laughs> I was thinking it was only the maybe Rappaport Amzala. <laughs> but yeah, no, cool. now it's well known and she's... Uh, Animating some That's when, when East meets West, right? I think we're somewhat influenced by um, being in California where there's a lot of Asian culture, mindfulness, and mm -hmm. uh, yoga. I'm going to interrupt. Talia, did you have something to ask your parents? Yes. Then you know if you put the projector, it's for that he doesn't have a projector. Talia is interrupting to ask Dan, uh, uh, Marge, if he can bring the projector for uh, Yom Kippur tonight. J'ai pas dit que ça marche pas. So we're going to have a multimedia Yom Kippur today. Why, um, why did your parents never celebrate the holidays with you? So I. Uh, I didn't know, I, I, mean, I, I didn't ask why for a long time, uh, just uh, like uh, four or five years ago I asked my mom and I told her, but why didn't you come with us? 
uh, when we were celebrating the, uh, the, the holidays with the Jakubovich family. And she told me that my dad had such uh, uh, bad memories from those holidays when he was young. He was uh, alone with his mom, uh, his dad and all the family um, had died during the, the, the war. And so, uh, so he was just alone with his mom and she was depressed. And I, I assume that she was even more depressed during those holidays. Uh, and so for him, it was very difficult to, to mm. celebrate. Mm. But at the same time, I think he, he was happy because my brother and I, we were continuing the tradition. And, yeah. and because he was, we were deeply Jewish at home, but, but nothing uh, related to the holidays or, or religious uh, celebration. So your father grew up with only his mother. Uh -huh. his, his father and the rest of the family had all been taken away, right? Uh -huh, yeah. So he grew up with a mother who had a lot on her, on her conscience and it yeah. affected him as he was growing up and as a father then he wanted you to continue the tradition but at the same time it was overwhelming for him. Yeah. 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 And you didn't even think anything. You no, I mean, <laughs> just it was... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, when I, I think about it, I, a lot of things that I was doing at home or with my family, I never questioned anything. It was normal, it was like this. And, and just a few years ago, like uh, I said that uh, I really questioned myself and, and asked why, <laughs> why we were doing the celebration like that, why, why you, my mom and my dad, you didn't come with us. And that's, yeah. I, yeah, because it was you didn't think about it as a kid. No, why you were doing no. that without your family, <laughs> no. and you feel very different now, right? You're you're no. kind of creating a different tradition. So, by the way, both Judith and Mark are French Ashkenazi Jews. Your family from which region? So my mom is um, my mom's family are is from Poland, and my dad is from Germany and uh, Alsace. But, but they were in France during the war. Yes, both yeah. of them. And Mark's family from? So on my side, uh, most of them are from Poland, uh, except my uh, mom father, so my uh, maternal grandfather, who was from uh, uh, Galicia, which is now Ukraine. Uh, and they all uh, came to France in the... Your mom was... What, eight, nine years old during the war, right? Uh, she was younger than that. She was six. I talk to, when I talked to your mom, because I actually did an interview with her as well, she told me what um, her... She had two major memories of the war as a child. Um, do you know which ones I'm referring to? Um, the uncle Yekiv and her father's departure. Yes. Can you share those with us? Sure. Um... So, by the way, something I'd like to so contrast with Judy's family histories. Uh, I think on, on Judy's side, the, the weight of the tragedy of the war on the family was so hard that they could not even speak about it. And it was kind of uh, 
a deafening silence on her side of the family. Uh, on my side, they also had very tragic uh, story. Maybe there were a few more survivors than on Judy's side. But uh, I felt that my mom, uh, in order to, to live with the burden of, of her dad being uh, killed in, in the camps, she wanted to search and talk and share the story rather than keep it for herself. I think everyone is trying to struggle with this kind of terrible even the way they can. On my side, she probably felt easier to, to live with it by sharing with it rather than keeping it for herself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I remember when I was relatively young, I mean, not, not a kid, but let's say a young early teen, that she shared with me the story of um, when she was in the street of uh, Cambrai with uh, her dad and uh, her dad saw a German uh, soldier uh, walking toward them and he told my mom in Yiddish, run, run away from me. And uh, that's when my grandpa was arrested by the, by the German police. And my mom came back home and she was, I think, in six maybe six, seven years old. And she told uh, my grandma, oh, daddy is going to Germany. That's how she interpreted the, the, the event. J'arrive et je dis à maman, maman, papa est en Allemagne. Ça, je m'en souviens. Donc, comme quoi, je savais pas qu'on était juif. J'avais rien compris. Mais quand le SS a mis la main et papa m'a dit en yiddish, je pense que dans son intonation, dans cette façon qu'il a eu de me regarder et de me dire « Allez, va-t'en euh, » J'ai dit « Papa est en Allemagne. » J'ai jamais compris pourquoi j'ai dit ça. Je n'ai jamais compris. That was Jeannette, Mark's mom, explaining in French what happened on that day and why she still doesn't understand to this state how she knew that he had been sent to Germany. And she never saw him again. And yeah, she, she never saw him again. Another one which is pretty crazy is that the day after the arrest of my grandpa, my grandma went to the Gestapo headquarters in Cambrai with all her kids, including my mom. And she told the local head of the, of the Gestapo, uh, I want to be with my uh, husband arrest me and my kids, I want to be with, with, with my husband. And uh, the Gestapo officer just kicked her out of the office, pretty much saving her life and the life of, of my mother. Elle a fait de telles démarches que le lendemain, elle nous emmène à la commandanture, Bernard, Jackie et moi, et elle, et elle dit au chef de la commandanture, emmenez-moi, vous avez pris mon mari, je suis seule, j'ai rien du tout. Et le, le chef de la commandanture dit Arros dehors. Alors elle nous a repris, on est ressorti. Et après elle s'est arrachée les cheveux, elle a dit Mais je vais vous envoyer au feu. Au feu. Elle a eu un coup de folie. Et, et puis voilà, et après la vie, ben, la vie a recommencé. That was Jeannette giving her account of that encounter with a German officer. And then how her mother came back to her senses afterwards, realizing what would have happened if the officer had accepted her offer. Um, she also told me about, she had many uncles, and one of them... Big story, uh, 
after the end of the war, pretty much, I think out of the seven brothers, um, that was my my uh, grandma and this uncle who actually went to Auschwitz and survived and came back. And so he arrived in is um, uh, pretty much directly fr from from the camps and uh, and he didn't speak a word of French. He he recognized some like Jew in, in the in the train station. They started to talk and uh, and he said, "Look, I I, I want to go and find my uh, sister. I heard she's alive somewhere in the north of France." Blah blah blah. And the guy told him, "Okay." Uh, come with me, I will show you the way and help you. And he didn't even know exactly where she lived. But the guy so brought him all the way to, not only to the city, but to actually to the, to the house where my grandma was living. And, uh, and so he knocked at the door. And so my uh, grandma said, who's there? And he said, it's Yekif. So she was sure that he had been killed uh, in the camps. And so they they finally met again, and and by the time um, the brother uh, turned around and wanted to to thank the guy who had brought him all the way to to his sister, uh, he had disappeared. And for him, he was like um, like Elia Elia prophet. Uh, Elia. That's a crazy story. That's a crazy story because he found her and they were back together. He actually lived, I think, with her for a little while and um, and it helped her. Uh, I think she immediately, what she was telling me, she immediately jumped on his lap and, you know, she had somebody, like a father figure um, yes. in her family. For the for a story, nice story, uh, Yekif married uh, so Jeanette and Charlie, uh, Mark's parents and he also married us oh yeah. <laughs> so you celebrated a wedding and he was the one was who officiated yeah. Yeah. oh he was there yeah that's wonderful so with all of the weight of this history you would uh perhaps imagine that um that weight is dragging you down but you all decided to start a new life in um north america you didn't first come to were you fleeing France? Were you trying to leave France or were you trying to go off on a great new adventure when you left? I would not go all the way to say we were fleeing. Um, but there was definitely a feeling that uh, the situation was changing in France uh, for Jews and at the same time, yes, we wanted also to try something new, have a new life experience uh, and U.S. and California was really some, a place we were attracted to uh, as well as Israel. Um, yeah, we hesitated between uh, California and Israel and I think we decided to come here because it was easier. <laughs> well, we're glad that they picked North America instead of Israel because we would be missing a lot without the Rappaport family. As it turns out, we spent this Yom Kippur 2020 at the Amzalag house, since the synagogue was shut down by COVID. Several of us gathered there while services were streamed online. 
We rested, we walked, we played games, we cooked Judith Vaquino's famous honey cigars. We had one of the most peaceful and soulful Yom Kippur's ever, with all generations together. Until, at the end of the day, we found out that we had all been in contact with a friend who tested positive for COVID. It was a pretty dramatic end of the day for us. By the way, this turned out to be a false positive, and we all now laugh about it, but... I have a feeling that testing, distancing, and weekly scares is going to be part of our lives for a long time. So, we're still nostalgic of our wild parties with DJ Marco at the mixing table. I'm your beauty, you're my beast Welcome to the Middle East Tel Aviv, yeah, Habibi, Tel Aviv Tis takel kamali 